Welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel. I'm Ben Simon. I'm Jesse Spur. I'm Jess Stokes Parish, and you're listening to Simulcast. Connecting the healthcare simulation community. So welcome to Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and I'm joined again by Ben Simon and a very special guest, Eve Purdy, on our November edition of the Journal Club. How are you, Ben? Mate, I'm giddy with excitement for tonight. I think we're going to have a lot of fun and uh, how nice to have both you and Eve on the podcast tonight. It's going to be good. Excellent. And Eve, welcome. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Always thrilled to talk teams with you and Ben. It's basically a dream come true. Excellent. Well, as you can tell, Simulcast listeners, you're in for a treat, but not just because of the talent on the team, uh, but also because we're changing it up a little bit for November. Uh, We're going to do some classic papers related to teamwork. And these aren't even all about simulation. Why, you say? Well, it's fair to say this team has got some worries. And one of the things we're worried about is that some simulation faculty, ourselves included, often don't know what we're talking about when we start debriefing about teamwork. And so we think and believe that maybe it's timely for us to really reflect on how much we know about teamwork, team science, uh, and how teams really work and how they can get better if we're going to be debriefing about that in sim. So we've got some classic papers to look at, to think about some of these concepts around team science uh, so that we're not overly reductionist and just reducing ourselves to thinking about crisis resource management or some of the very good models that there are for teamwork, but necessary but not sufficient. Is that it, Ben? You you chose these articles. So have I put a rationale behind it? I did and I think you, I thought you put it in, in such a lovely fashion. Uh but I think we're we're all guilty at times of uh thinking about teamwork in fairly simplistic ways. And I think some of those frameworks are such a wonderful foundation to build upon. But uh, if we can't dig deeper than that, then I'm worried we're not really going to get to the root cause of some of the problems that we're telling everyone we're fixing with our simulation and our educational interventions. So I'm looking forward to just digging a little bit deeper, deeper into some of these theories and classic papers because um, I think they can really inform our practice and make us better debriefers and hopefully will help us find ways to reach a, a nuanced, more nuanced conversation and, and help our teams genuinely dig deeper into how they can become more effective. Mm, absolutely. Expanding our repertoires a little bit. Uh, Eve, we've had some conversations about this, but you share a little bit of this concern that sometimes we're overly reductionist. Oh, certainly. And I, I guess maybe not so much reductionist as uh, uh, intrigued and uh, fascinated by focusing on behaviors rather than what underpins them. Uh, I agree with Ben that really uh, some strong theoretical underpinnings can go a long way uh, in having conversations with teams and groups uh, that move beyond behaviors uh, and really start to get at what makes teams work uh, and function. And she would say that because in case some cast listeners don't realize, Eve Purdy is an emergency physician and also an anthropologist. So she is a little bit different in thinking about maybe some of those values, beliefs and uh, attitudes that underlie some of the behaviors that we see in teams. So, and this is a bit of a start of a more expanded horizons for Simulcast over the next 12 months, uh, where we are going to be doing a little bit of a focus on teamwork and, uh, 
Eve is going to be making her way through a scoping review and we might broadcast some of the interesting findings that she gets as we get into thinking about teams and teamwork. But don't worry, we're still going to be doing the journal club. We'll still be keeping our broad interests alive each month. We'll still be doing those series, but we might have some special episodes related to teamwork. Uh, before we did that, a couple of brief advertisements, one for Sim Reconnect. It's only now just a week away but it's still not too late. If you are likely to be in Southeast Queensland on Wednesday, the 15th of November, you can still get a ticket for Simulation Reconnect. Just Google it at Bond. Uh, we'd love to have you along for a day-long seminar with some excellent speakers, including Vicky LeBlanc, who has arrived on the Gold Coast. So she'll be talking about emotions and simulation, plus many more excellent speakers. And then if you're really interested in the deep dive, Ben, we're doing the Translational Simulation in Healthcare subject again, uh, starting in January at Bond University. So if you want to Google Translational Sim in Healthcare subject, uh, you'll find that we're taking a 12-week uh, intensive program that we're offering at Bond if you're interested in that. So a couple of little advertisements. But uh, let's talk teamwork, team. And uh, Ben, I believe you're going to kick us off with a uh, thinking about the context uh, of training teams and thinking about them. Yeah, absolutely. So the paper I'm going to look at is called Changing Systems Through Effective Teams, A Role for Simulation. It's by a fairly large group of authors, but uh, Elizabeth Rosenman is the uh, primary one. And it was published in Academic Emergency Medicine in 2018. And this paper is one that I found really helpful at starting to understand teams at a deeper level. Uh, and so much so that actually uh, we based a lot of our teamwork course at Queensland Children's around some of the frameworks within this article. And it's an interesting beast, really, as a paper itself, because it's a consensus statement it was generated through a uh, meeting, which was the 2017 Academic Emergency Medicine Consensus Conference on catalyzing system change through healthcare simulation, systems, competency and outcomes as the title. And look, essentially, the paper explores ideas around what makes an effective team how simulation has been trying to help with that, and perhaps more importantly, what we have been neglecting to focus on with that is already established within teamwork science. And for me, the appeal of this one is, you know, thinking about that, but also that it really functions as quite a nice little speed date through a lot of foundational teamwork science, uh, and then make suggestions on how the sim community could study or embed those concepts within emergency teams. So the article starts by defining what a team is in the emergency setting and emphasizes that ad hoc teams in emergency care are the norm rather than the exception. And as such, they argue we should be training specifically for skills that mitigate the risks of ad hoc team formation because that is a foundational skill. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, I feel like we're frequently uh, debriefing teams who remain relentlessly surprised that they that one of the challenges they had was different groups of people from different subsets within the hospital meeting at the bedside as if this was some kind of unexpected thing. The authors then take readers through the ABCs of team effectiveness, which is a framework from team science. And I really like this as a framework for thinking about what builds an effective team. So A, rather than airway, stands for team affect, B stands for behavior, and C stands for cognition. And I wanted to spend a little moment emphasizing those categories because I think they're a really useful framework and they're reasonably simple to get your head around. So team affect is essentially, you know, how a team feels. I'm oversimplifying, but it's, you know, the interpersonal relations, motivations, values, beliefs, and cohesion created by a group of people. T 
team behaviors are those things that were actually usually, I'd argue, pretty good in Simit noticing. So the behaviors, what people see and do, uh, what, what they say. Um, and we're usually good at naming those and measuring those in simulation already. Things like the crisis resource management principles, for example, like closed loops, clear leadership, stuff like that. And then team cognition captures how a team thinks as a collective and responds and incorporates new members and new data and how we distribute that knowledge and data collection required between us so that we can incorporate new ideas about the problem or case in front of us. The tables within the article, I think, are actually really useful as they name and define quite a wide range of specific teamwork phenomena that I think, again, are quite a good speed date. And I reckon just reading the table one alone would actually add a lot of vocabulary to a lot of debriefers teamwork uh, understanding. And for me, it was the first time I'd heard about concepts like transactive memory or team affect. And that really strongly influenced my debriefing and approach to teamwork after that. At the meta level, though, I think there's also some really great stuff in here to do with thinking about the difference between individual actions and behaviors that we often are quite good at measuring and then contrasting that with similar phenomena that's happening in a group. And I think they're not the same thing and we're not great at teasing that out. So, for example, team cognition, which is, you know, how a team thinks as a collective is not the same as the average or sum total of all of the thoughts happening within individual brains that are working within that team. And just like anyone who's done a university assignment that's a group one, you know, we will know that problem solving sometimes as a group needs a completely different skill set to problem solving something as an individual. And we often don't teach or analyze uh, how to work with those rule sets. So in addition to that kind of speed date on teamwork science, there's a series of position statements made through the paper about how we should approach research and training in teamwork through SIM. And I think those recommendations are both really great and kind of depressing in that on mass, I'm not sure that we've moved much more beyond 2017 in that regard on uh, mass. Um, collectively, I think the recommendations kind of emphasize the importance of recognizing the breadth of the components that contribute to effective teamwork outside of the behaviors we can see and easily measure uh, and that we need to discover ways to measure and teach those skills that extends beyond working on the individual and hoping that that adds up to success as a collective. So those are my initial thoughts. Mm, Very nice, Ben. You've summarized a lot of material there very simply. Mm -hmm. And I think you make a really good point, uh, and I'm going to pick up on that one about the difference between the individual and the team, and I'm going to take up shared mental models. Uh, You know, a team mental model is a bit different to the team leader sharing their mental model. And I think that's, you know, you're getting at the heart of let's think about a team as more than the sum of its parts. Uh, It's probably a good chance to go to Eve because a couple of these things I feel like she has led – Uh, some work that is in response to some of these positions like simulation-based research should explore how team affect constructs, including psychological safety and team efficacy, are developed and supported. Uh, Eve, what do you think? This sounds like the entree into the kind of work you've been doing. Oh, certainly. I think um, what we start to see from some of this work is that uh, simulation is a place to explore, but also a place to shape uh, team behaviors, things, and team affect. Certainly, that's what we found in some of our work, that it is a place that psychological safety is both on show, uh, but also can be shaped. 
Uh, I guess I would just rewind a little bit back to their beginning uh, aspect about talking about what the team is. Uh, And to be honest, I think this is something that we often fail to do. I think their approach of saying, look, ad hoc teams are what we're going to be dealing with is a good one. But even still, uh, there's some research now coming out that if you ask uh, everybody on a team who's on your team, you get if there's seven people on the team, you get seven different answers. Uh, And so uh, the dynamic nature of teams and how people uh, see the groups that they're working on, uh, working in is not uh, stable um, in healthcare, uh, and that actually has fairly significant impacts on what people see as their role uh, in the team, but also uh, how they conceptualize contributing, uh, sharing information, communicating, uh, and behaving overall. So, just a fundamental, simple question of what's the team here uh, can go a long ways. Yeah, absolutely. I notice they do talk about multi-team systems as one of those concepts in there, Ben. Uh, yeah, good uh, good paper, hey, Ben? Yeah, I think so. Would it be okay? I'm just wondering, just from a practical application of some of these theories, to give it like an example of how I'd use them in debriefing. And mm-hmm. you mentioned that that class, that conundrum of talking about a shared mental model that a team has co-created versus um, a shared mental model that the team leader has provided. Um, and I think if we like drill into the specifics of that, I think understanding these concepts in more depth means we can raise the level of the debriefing conversation from, I thought that was a really good scenario because the team leader shared a mental model to actually going, you know what, that was nice. We all knew what you were thinking, but we, can we just pause for a second and think about, um, how you could have incorporated the thoughts of the rest of the team more effectively and I think for me, that would include, you know, close coaching on stuff like you actually asked for ideas, but then you immediately followed up with a task and moving on to the point where I don't think you're actually effectively sending a signal of wanting ideas. I think you are uh, signaling a sort of a relatively superficial signal of inclusivity that wasn't matched with giving people the space to actually express and think in time to incorporate that into your resuscitation plan. Um, so it just allows us to get a little bit uh, more specific and nuanced and start thinking about this at a at a better level. From my- just going to add there, Ben, to be honest, I think it even lets us go one step further, which is, uh, you know, we didn't hear some declaration of the shared mental model. But for this problem, this team didn't need that. They already had it. Uh, and so as soon as somebody on the team mentioned the word sepsis, the room became quiet and everybody just did what they needed to do. Uh, and historically, we might have thought, oh, that's actually not a shared mental model. We didn't hear this declaration. We didn't hear, does anybody have any questions? But in fact, we know that that might actually signal a super high level of teamwork. And I think it takes that type of sophisticated understanding to see that in practice with teams um, and to explore how that happens and how we make that happen for more issues that the team faces. Mm, yeah, well, while we're giving examples, the one I'll take is the multi-team system. And instead of insisting that everyone have uh, fixed roles in a team, recognize there may be moments in a team when, for instance, the airway three people are off doing their thing, the drugs three people are off doing their thing, and actually the debriefing conversation is uh, how do we decide which times we're having autonomy in these sub-teams and which times and how we come together in the moments where we need to share and coordinate between those sub-teams. All right, we're on a roll team. (laughs) I like that question. Don't want to steal that one. All right, can we go on to our next paper? We could keep talking about each of these all night, so we'd better be disciplined. Fair enough. 
Sounds good. Uh, well, the next paper, we're probably a little bit biased, still more emergency medicine. Uh, so this is a paper called The Human Factor, Optimizing Trauma Team Performance in Dynamic Clinical Environments. And this is by Chris Hicks and Andrew Petrosoniak, uh, two friends and colleagues who work in Toronto in Canada at St. Mike's Hospital, which is a trauma center. So this is definitely from their stance as emergency physicians and more specifically people who are very interested in trauma care and the teams and systems. Uh, and so just to sort of set the scene, this is a very practical paper. It comes from emergency clinics of North America from 2018, and it's written as a, here's a guide for the how to think about this and how to do this. It's not rooted strongly in theory, but if you look below the surface, there's definitely some principles that they're trying to get out. It's not just a, it's not just a list of uh, things to do. It is goes through some rationale and they start with a case study and offer us a little bit of context for how they think about trauma teams. That's a challenge, just like the teams you're talking about, Ben. This is dynamic, undifferentiated. Diagnosis and management often have to happen concurrently. Tasks need to happen in parallel, not in sequence, and draws on expertise from multiple parts of the hospital that don't always work together and who don't always have the same way of thinking about problems. Uh, and the idea of just simply knowing what to do is different to then getting it done through execution. So they say, okay, fine, we've got these challenges, so let's step through it. And they've got four layers uh, where they talk about the self the team, the environment, and the system. And in each case, they sort of give a few contextual notes and then they talk about some specific techniques to focus on. So for the self, they talk about optimizing personal psychological preparation. Uh, and so things like cognitive threat appraisal and some things we've talked about uh, in terms of stress exposure simulation, Ben. So the idea of um, whether people do some personal box breathing, have self-talk, they use mental rehearsal, certainly participate in stress and they call it inoculation training and the idea of overlearning where you just do a procedure over and over and over again so it's second nature and you're unconsciously competent and I think this is worth thinking about because uh, we know in lots of in almost any good teamwork uh, conceptual framework individual capabilities are a big part of it both the skill sets and the teamworking skills of the individuals and then they go on to the team and say some you know and they Possibly this is relatively short, but they do pack some punch into what they do say. Uh, talk about the need for open and flexible communication, uh, team structure adaptive to task and environment, and the old shared mental models. Uh, and in their specific techniques, they talk about training to a common language and something that I know you're keen on, Ben, avoiding mitigating language, which is the vague, can somebody do this for us, instead of maybe just being a little bit more direct. Ben, drop the adrenaline. Uh, <laughs> uh, the idea of pre-briefing teams, again, we're big fans of that here. The idea of modifying that team structure to reflect dynamic patient needs, and they also refer to this sub-team autonomy. Uh, and then the idea of how do teams adapt uh, and using devices and techniques like recaps. Uh, then they go through the environment. And I know this is something these uh, pair of authors are very interested in, which is how to use techniques like iterative design testing to refine how your trauma bay looks and how it works in terms of human factors and ergonomics. And I think that is something that 
uh, certainly I've taken to talking more about in debriefing. Uh, and often it's very clear to those of us watching, and yet when we're in the thick of it, it's utterly unclear to us how much we haven't optimised the environment, even within the bounds of what we can do uh, with a trolley in a, in a room that's already built. Uh, and the last thing they talk about is the system. And now they make a brief foray into some of the complex concepts around resilience engineering, safety two concepts, and the idea that uh, we have to be able to modify our systems to respond to changes, volatility and uncertainty. And so they talk about teams having access to the things that support performance like clinical care pathways, like checklists, um, in situ simulation, uh, but also debriefing after real events so that we can sort of capture this idea of becoming a learning organisation. So although they do it at these four levels, I think we're still talking about teamwork and the influences on team performance, but recognising not all of those are within the set of team behaviours that we and team coordination that we sometimes talk about, but also the team's ability to influence those things like environment and systems. So look, I think this is a really easy read. I think it's ambitious in the breadth that they try and cover. Uh, and so, you know, you probably need to dive deeper if you're really interested in any of these particular topics. But I think it does have a pretty easy flow, very easy to read. And for people who haven't thought a lot about teamwork, this probably gives you a handful of new thoughts uh, about it. So uh, this was certainly my one of my favorites for that 2018, 2019, 2020. I was telling everyone to have a read of it. Uh, what do you think, Ben? Uh, yeah, I remain a big, big fan of this paper for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one is just that simple framework of self-team environment system, which I find a very useful mantra um, for kind of analyzing uh, what can I do about a team or that I'm in that is currently not as effective as I want and moving me from what can I just do with my own behaviors to actually what are all the metrics that we can play with and that includes things like do we just need to change the resuscitation feng shui and move the furniture around and suddenly everything will be better so i find it a very approachable simple but thorough framework to start thinking about that that i've found just repeatedly powerful in different ways i agree it's super ambitious and big and sometimes just handing someone the 17 quite dense uh, pages, even though they're very approachable and easy to read, overwhelms them a little bit. It probably would have been a nice set of three or four papers, but I also like having it in one handy document that I can pass around. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, just a big fan. Yeah. Eve, I guess it was easier to read because it's written in Canadian, but uh, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I uh, th this paper, to be honest, I'm a bit surprised um, that there's so much focus on the self to begin with. Uh, I think from some of the other uh, information that we know about teams, uh, the self is probably a little bit less important than we like to let on. Uh, so I would, I'd, if I was writing it again, I'd probably de-emphasize the self and re-emphasize uh, the team there. But uh, I'm a bit biased in that uh, in that direction, uh, but certainly a uh, a very easy read. And this paper is a bit close to my heart as well. It came out uh, just as I was studying for my fellowship uh, exams, uh, and provided just such an excellent framework for uh, thinking about teams and how to optimize resuscitation. 
Uh, and so I think for me and many of my uh, kind of fellow uh, emergency medicine colleagues who were just finishing training at that time really served as an excellent foundation for thinking about getting to that kind of next level of how we can support teams and uh, improve the work that we do. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's probably worth owning here because we could include ourselves in this, uh, but it is written by two doctors and there's no doubt that I think there are discipline specific ways of thinking about your role in teams as well and medicine has enculturated people a certain way and so sometimes I think that means that maybe we focus on some aspects particularly related to medical team leaders as opposed to just all team members Uh, and maybe that influences a little bit I guess just the stance where we come from when we're writing or reading these things. All right well uh, from trauma teams to much more wide-ranging teams. Eve, as the newbie, we gave her the 26-page article to review. Well done, Ben. Tell us all about relational coordination, Eve. For the record, I think it was 33 pages, but uh, who's counting? Scroll to Uh, the end and see where the references start and then reassure you that's less pages than you initially thought. That's the strategy, Eve. I see how it goes. (laughs) Uh, All right. This paper is called Revisiting Relational Coordination, a Systematic Review uh, by Bolton, Logan, and Jody Hoffer-Gatell herself. Uh, It was published in 2021. Uh, But really, in order to revisit relational coordination, I think we've got to start with what relational coordination is. Uh, So I'll tell you a little bit about the original theory. Um, Just to set the stance um, for how we'll be thinking about this, this is a theory that I think can have dramatic impact uh, for people in simulation, both at the micro and macro level. Uh, this is a theory that will help you in the debriefing room talking with teams, uh, but it will also help you think about what is the role that your simulation program plays in your institution uh, and uh, what are the impacts that it can have at a much bigger level. Uh, so to start us off, what is relational coordination? Uh, well, this is a theory that Jody, Jody Hoffer-Gatell um, developed actually initially when she was uh, looking at uh, the airline industry. Uh, when I first heard this, I kind of did a little face palm and went, oh my gosh, we've heard enough about cockpits and pilots and uh, just is uh, the comparisons are, are too much. But what Jody Hoffer-Gatell studied was not what we do when the airplane is crashing. Rather, she looked at how uh, airlines get passengers with their bags to their destinations on time. Uh, And when you think about it, that is actually a much more complex, interdependent, messy situation, uh, and actually much more akin to what we find ourselves dealing with in healthcare all the time. So just instantly, this theory uh, I find interesting. Basically, what she found uh, is that there uh, are some relational components uh, that allow teams to do this complex interdependent work. They need to have shared goals. uh, They need to have shared knowledge, but not actually knowledge uh, in the sense that we would usually think about it. We have to have shared knowledge about what other people can do and what they contribute to the team. Uh, And there just needs to be a foundational uh, mutual respect between uh, members of the team. Uh, This is reinforced by communication that is timely, frequent, accurate, and problem-solving based. So really, we've got these relational components, shared goals, shared knowledge, and mutual respect, uh, and some communication factors that allow messy, complex, interdependent work to happen. So what happens when we revisit a theory? 
it was all well and good that Jody Hoffer-Gattel came up with this looking at uh, airlines that were good and not so good. Uh, but this paper is all about how this theory has been performing in the wild since 1991. Uh, so they looked at 30 years of uh, research about relational coordination uh, and in this paper have really thought about what RC has taught us about teams and teamwork, uh, but also uh, what teams and teamwork have taught us about relational coordination. Uh, and it's just amazing. Uh, this theory has been applied across 73 industry contexts, 30 of which are in healthcare, uh, and a broad range in healthcare, looking at acute care teams all the way to uh, much longer and distributed uh, teams. Essentially, what they found uh, is that this model holds up across teams, across contexts, shared goals, shared knowledge, mutual respect, and high quality communication are absolutely critical. Uh, they found uh, in their initial work that there were some predictors of relational coordination, things like selecting uh, teams and training them, uh, relational job design, actually just sharing space, having some shared protocols and norms for conflict resolution. Uh, and across industries, they find that these things lead to good outcomes, things like quality, efficiency, actually staff retention and learning and innovation. But when they came back and revisited these theories, what they started to see was that organizational structures didn't just lead to relational coordination, but relational coordination itself actually led to more uh, organizational structures that are conducive to more uh, relational coordination. So essentially, this becomes a positive spiral and positive feedback loop um, as times uh, as teams develop more relational coordination. Uh, and develop better organizational structures. Unfortunately, we probably see that things head in the opposite direction as well. Uh, now, as it relates specifically to teams and simulation, uh, what we start to see uh, is that things like boundary spanning, shared meetings, uh, some rela relational and structural interventions are helpful. Uh, and we start to see that sim is a place that we can explore uh, these relational domains, things like do teams have shared goals, uh, do they have mutual respect, uh, and what uh, aspects of communication are either working or are not. Uh, but it is also uh, a place where we can start to shape these norms uh, fairly deliberately uh, and fairly uh, aggressively. Um, the part about this review that I really liked and that I think uh, – really came to show was that there's lots that might work at improving relational coordination, but there's no guarantee that across contexts it will. Uh, and this really highlights, I think, the dynamic nature of simulation that's needed in different contexts and for different teams and for different people. Uh, there's probably not one recipe that can just be translated across institutions and across teams, uh, but it needs to be responsive to what the needs of the teams are. So really, at the end of the day, this is a highly practical theory that is applicable across healthcare contexts. Uh, it really shapes up simulation uh, as a place to understand, explore, uh, and shape teamwork, particularly teamwork that is highly interdependent and complex. Uh, I also really admire the humility of this team uh, in coming back and saying, look, this is good theory, but it needs to be revisited. Uh, and with the wisdom from practice, I think the theories become even better. Mm. 
very nicely put. Uh, that you did well for the thirty-three pages. Thank you, Eve. Uh, and I, and I think this you know draws a really thorough look through the literature that uh, relates to relational coordination. And of course, you are cited in there as well. Some of your work on exactly these topics. Uh, for me, the other thing that it does in terms of relation with sim is it just illustrates the influence of conditions on whether your simulation achieves the goals that you want it to. And if you don't have some of these things that are surrounding the relational coordination itself, like some structures, like some relational uh, interventions or issues, uh, like some work processes, your simulation will be more or less effective uh, as a result of those surrounding conditions. And I think often we haven't taken enough heedance of that, or we've just thrown up our hands and gone, this has made it impossible, which it may do, uh, but we haven't thought enough about how we might shape those things outside the simulation. Uh, ben, I guess you haven't been quite as in deep on relational coordination as Eve and to a lesser extent me, but uh, it's rather cool, isn't it? It is cool, but I would have to say I struggle a bit to, in terms of the practical application of this and i'm wondering if you can help me understand how you would use this relational coordination framework within a debrief to help teams think about it like i get it at a structural level but i can't get myself beyond where well, you should signal more mutual respect or you know how did you share the knowledge and i'm just kind of stuck at how i would adapt it more fluently mm, well the shared uh demonstration of mutual respect is probably an excellent starting point. Uh, but beyond that, I think the shared goals and shared knowledge piece probably are where the money's at. And to be honest, uh, all of these different theories have different names for things. But ultimately, I think in this situation, the shared goals is very similar to the cognitions that you spoke about earlier. Um, so do we have a crystal clear idea of what we want to achieve and how we're going to get there? Um, I th I, in my mind, that's how we talk about shared goals. Uh, I think the the concept of goals, though, uh, perhaps forces people to be a bit more honest. I think sometimes in healthcare, we are not honest about what our goals are. Uh, and we say, uh, look, it's obviously for the patient to do the best. But mm, if I'm in the emergency department with a really sick trauma room, I would trauma patient, maybe I have this kind of subtle side goal of getting them out of the emergency department and up to theater, whether or not that's the best thing for the patient. Uh, so I think uh, actually framing this up is what our, uh, what are our goals? What are the competing goals that we have uh, is a, a pretty common language for teams. Uh, and then when it comes to shared knowledge, uh, I think this has really prompted a much deeper dive and understanding with teams about what other people's roles are. Uh, just to give an example of that again from trauma, because that's where my uh, thesis work was. Uh, we really dove deep in what people bring to the team. So for example, this profoundly changed uh, what the anesthetist role in our trauma respond is. They're usually not up at the airway now. Uh, they're uh, coordinating with theater uh, or perhaps getting vascular access, but that was only those changes were only possible through a conversation in the debrief room about what does this person bring to the team. Um, Vic, I don't know if you've got more to uh, to add to how you see this play out in the debrief room. Yeah, I think two things I'd add. One is, I think it is a strong framework for the debriefer. It doesn't need to be as overt for the learners. The second thing I'd say for us. 
Relational coordination also comes with some measurement tools. Now, it doesn't have to. It is a standalone theory, but there is um, Jody's work has also extended to developing some tools for measuring relational coordination, at least practically for us. That has meant that some of the groups that we have worked with and done simulation with, but also other team development interventions, we have used some of those measures to try and get uh, a people mapping as well as their process mapping of the kind of things they're trying to improve. And I think that has been really helpful and it is divided up into these categories. So I think using the tools associated with the theory has probably also been helpful for a longitudinal partnership with teams that includes but is not limited to simulation as a tool for improvement. How's that, Ben? Does that give you some sense of... Usage. I'm satisfied, yes. You're satisfied, you. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Eve, we'll, uh, uh, we have to put some discipline on Eve talking about relational coordination or else we definitely could be here for some time. Well, but can I you. say, I, I do think I feel guilty for putting this paper in at 34 pages when really I should have just recommended everyone listen to Eve's talk from Don't Forget the Bubbles about the same thing. Yeah, definitely do that. All right, we will put that link in the podcast notes. All right, and the last one, Ben, am I going to kick that off and you join in? Will that what we do? Yes. So this last paper is more relates to how we go about researching teamwork. So this might not be for everybody who's uh, more seeing themselves as practitioner, but I, we thought it was pretty important. So this, the title of this paper is uh, Understanding Adaptive Teamwork in Healthcare, Progress and Future Directions. And this is by Janet Anderson, Mary Lavelle and Gabe Reedy, our great friend from Advances in Simulation, all of whom are based in London. And it's in something we probably wouldn't read otherwise, the Journal of Health Services Research and Policy from 2021. And it's a sort of concept methods paper. Uh, and they start out with many of the similar concepts that we've been talking about over the last uh, 40 minutes. And that is that we don't really understand teamwork, particularly the adaptive capacity, uh, i.e. the coordinating activity under routine and novel conditions that uh, teams have to undertake. And so in the beginning, the authors flag up front, they're going to argue for a shift in how we study the dynamic and complex phenomena like teams involved in patient care. And they describe that teamwork as intricate sequences of adaptive behaviours uh, with changing priorities and challenges. And they suggest, after going through um, a little bit more of a deep dive than I'm going to do justice to it here, but they suggest four fundamental changes to the way we think about teamwork research. Uh, the first being that we embrace a wider range of teams. Uh, they're saying that we've had probably a bit of a focus, interestingly, on more stable teams um, traditionally. Uh, that we use some tools and methods in this research that captures the emergent and dynamic teamwork. Uh, you know, we're often given to either a snapshot observation, like the leadership was good, tick, and then you get a score. And we use things like surveys and observation tools. And they're suggesting we should be more watching teams in action and looking at how one action affects the next one, affects the next one, and this kind of dynamic things rather than just the cross-sectional measurements. Uh, and then there is a little bit of nerdy talk about our research paradigms saying that positivist worldviews might not help. So I'm again going to put this overly simplistically, but just say we shouldn't just compare uh, team A who has this intervention with team B who doesn't and think that that's going to be an adequate exploration of all the dynamic factors that are at play here. So maybe we need more exploratory than experimental 
research uh, approaches. Uh, and then they're going to suggest that we need uh, to look at these contextual factors that influence performance, uh, things like resource limitations, information uncertainty. So look, I think this is super helpful for researchers. It may uh, support people who've thought maybe we needed to get a little bit more nuanced in the way that we study these things. Uh, but I think it all is also helpful for those of us involved in team training uh, just to avoid, again, the trap of falling into these uh, slavish considerations of effective teams being something simple. And I think this just underlines, again, that it is uh, complex. Is that what, you, what your take on it was, Ben? Yeah, I think that that call to nuance and understanding teamwork and all of its complexity really appealed to me. Um, I love that they highlight that we have a really restrictive definition of teamwork that tends to focus on teams that are similar to the frameworks we've stolen from other industries like the airline industry. And I think we've even highlighted that tonight in the other papers that I put up are all very much emergency resuscitation team focused uh but you know if we think about how many papers we've covered that look at teamwork in a ward or outpatient setting over the years of simulcast it would proportionally be a much smaller group right so i think that's really true and fair and it was a nice little reminder to think about uh who we see as part of our team and and who we see as teams and teamwork within the hospital uh those were kind of the big things for me i think you know I, that there was a little bit in there about putting patient outcomes as kind of the grand poobah of measurable teamwork outcomes uh, really denies us the opportunity to understand teamwork more richly, given that it draws our focus away from measuring other things that we could measure, like the impact on culture, how teams adapt and and how they incorporate new behaviours. Um, so you know, I, I enjoyed reading it. And I think to me, it's just that uh, echo again of we're thinking about this too simplistically at every level. And uh, that's okay and completely understandable, but we need to do better if we're going to actually solve this perennial problem of teamwork being one of the biggest problems in healthcare. Mm, absolutely. Prob biggest problems and opportunities, of course. Well, Eve mm. is one who's about to embark on a fairly detailed multi-year research program into teams and how they work. Uh, this article might give you some, I would have thought, some support for your approach. Oh, certainly. This uh, article, I think, uh, probably represents the start of some of my interest in getting deeper uh, with teams. And uh, I think, you know, most of us are actually quite guilty of this in simulation and just thinking about what we simulate. Uh, so most of what we know about teamwork in emergency medicine comes from the resuscitation room, yet that is less than 1% of what we uh, do on a daily basis. Uh, so how do we coordinate this complex interdependent work outside of the nice, actual, quite comfortable confines of, of the resuscitation room? That's what I'm going to be looking at uh, in exploring in a bit more detail is the kind of non-resuscitation side of how uh, emergency departments uh, and emergency care clinicians uh, coordinate their work. Um, but uh, I think this paper really highlights some of the core issues in, in doing that, thinking about the dynamic nature of those teams and the problems that they face, uh, and really some of the, the real challenges uh, in studying that. Um, things like ethnography, things like uh, uh, kind of different sampling methods that technology might help with, uh, all sorts of things uh, I think are going to come into play 
um, as we start to think about teams um, with a little bit more complexity. Uh, it's uncomfortable, though. It would be nice to uh, think of them as a problem to solve, as Ben just said. Uh, but unfortunately, this is something that we know from Amy Edmondson is negotiated every single day. Teams come together and work uh, every single day, and that probably looks different each day we show up to do it. I think you're right, just as a sideline about the technology and the big data and being able to do conversational analysis and that paper we looked at, the Michaela Colby's, and I think that is just going to get better and we probably will be able to identify patterns uh, and I'm hoping that will be part of the conversation we get into here. All right, well, well done, Simulcast team. Uh, so if you're interested and you're happy to take this journey with us over the next 12 months thinking about uh, a teamwork deep dive uh, this is your entree into that little journey but as i said don't worry we'll still be doing lots of stuff virtual reality procedural skills training debriefing all the stuff we love talking about simulated patients uh, we'll nice still be doing that in our regular yes we'll still be doing that in our regular journal clubs as well well it's been a pleasure lovely to have you along eve and lovely to have you as usual ben uh Hope you're looking forward to an excellent November and December. And in just one week, we will be doing our simulcast live at Sim Reconnect. We'll be doing a couple of papers and we'll bring you at least a little bit of that on the podcast. So thank you, Eve. Thank you, Ben. Thank you very much, my friend. Lovely night and uh, look forward to a very big month for us all. Thanks, Vic. It's Victoria Brazel uh, signing off for Simulcast. Thank you for listening to Simulcast. Simulcast. 